My name is uh, John Rauch. If you don't know who I am, I'm the children's pastor here at Grace. And uh, when I was finishing my seminary degree, my master's degree, uh, I had to take a cross-cultural class, uh, how to do ministry in another culture. And so some seminary students, uh, we were going from Philadelphia, my hometown, to Paris, France for a two-week course that we had to take there. And we had to take a flight. We left at 8 p.m. Uh, Philly time, and it would arrive into France 8 a.m. the next morning. It was an overnight flight, long flight. And uh, anyway, it was a big plane that we were in. There were a section of two seats and a section of four and then a section of two, you know, with two aisles going down. It was a big plane that was going. And, and I was sitting there with a buddy of mine. His name was Jeremiah, different Jeremiah than right here. This guy had dreads and was a hip-hop artist. So pretty similar in some ways, I suppose, but uh, very different, too. And uh, anyway, Jeremiah and I were sitting there together. We were talking about stuff. We were, we were, they had movies there for us, and we were just, you know, having a good time. And then it got dark, and it was totally dark outside, and they turned off all the lights in the plane, and they wanted people, you know, to try to sleep. It was an overnight flight. And so I had talked to the man who was right across the aisle from me. He was an older man. He was an Egyptian man. And his, uh, we had talked just really briefly, though. We, there was a, quite a language barrier there, but we, you know, briefly kind of chatted. And uh, he had fallen asleep, and so... After a while, we got tired and uh, tried to go to sleep as well. And the plane, the airline, had provided these sleeping masks for us to wear. And, and I had never worn one. You guys know what I'm talking about, a sleeping mask like this. I'd never worn one before in my life. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to try this out. This would be pretty cool. And so, the, uh, and so it gets dark, and I'm trying to fall asleep, and, and I put this, this mask on. And not long after I do, I start to hear this older gentleman next to me start to cough. And he's coughing louder and harder. And after a while, I take off my mask to look to see if he's okay. And he starts to vomit. But he's still sleeping. And he, he, he's vomiting on the seat in front of him, down his shirt. He's vomiting everywhere. And he had to know something about me. I kind of have a weak stomach for that sort of thing. And so, and so I jump onto Jeremiah's lap and I'm like dinging that bell, ding, 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 pushing for like a flight. I didn't know, like, is he just upset with his stomach or is there something worse going on here? I'm just like dinging that bell, ding, 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 ding. And finally, flight attendant comes and, and, and I, I tried to be as calm as I could. I said, I think that man might be sick. And, and, and she looks over and she kind of stirs him and he wakes up and they talk and they're talking in French. I, I didn't understand what they were saying, but apparently he says he was okay. Like he felt better or something, because then he just goes back to sleep. And, and I'm thinking to myself, please, at least give him a towel or a wet washcloth or something. And, and uh, anyway, the flight, he goes back to sleep like nothing happened. And the flight attendants start to, to kind of gather and have a little conference. They don't know what to do. It's the middle of the night. Everybody on the plane, most of them are sleeping. All the lights are off. And... And I can't understand what they're saying, but I'm pretty sure they're saying, if we turn the lights on, we're going to wake everybody up. What should we do? They decide to not turn the lights on and clean it up. They decide to take blankets and lay them across the aisleway to cover it up. And then they take this air sanitizer and just kind of spray everywhere. It wasn't the right plan. I just put that sleep mask back on to my eyes and pretended that it had not happened and went to sleep. In the morning, woke up and the lights now were on. The sun was coming through. It was the morning time. And like our entire section of the plane was just covered in vomit. It was all across the front seat in front of him. It was all up the side of my seat. I hope no one here is a th sympathetic vomiter. It was all up like my seat. Just out, Oh, the blankets were just... It had all come through because people were traipsing across them all night long to the bathroom. And oh, I just wanted to, I, I looked over at the man and, and I asked him, you know, as best I could if he was feeling better. And of course, there was this language barrier. So he just kind of smiled, you know, at me. And that was how he answered. And, and I'm pretty sure he still had some vomit in his mustache. And, and, uh, and, and so I just kind of, again, just turned back. And, and, you know, I was just really glad that Airborne had been invented by then. And, and that I had some along. And, and, and so I just felt like putting my mask back on and just walking off the plane, not, you know, pretending I didn't know, you know, kind of what I was walking through or over or whatever. And you know what? The way that we view life 
really affects everything. Some people walk through life with a sleeping mask on because they don't want to know what's happening around them. They don't want to see the trouble that is there. They, they want to pretend like it's not there at all. And so they wear this sleeping mask through life. People wear all kinds of different lenses through life. Ladies, we've talked about this before at our church, ladies often view life through pink lenses, right? They see things from their perspective as a female, which is different from the way that guys view things. Guys often view things through their perspective as a male. And I don't know how these are considered male sunglasses, but anyway, their perspective is different. It's through blue, and, and, and they see things just because they're wired differently as men. The way that we view life is so, is, 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 uh, comes into play so often. Um, some people view life just through the darkness of, of a negative cloud that is over them. And everything they see is kind of clouded by these dark lenses that they wear every day of their life. They chose to have a bad day today when they went to bed yesterday. And you guys know people like that. The lens through which we choose to view life affects everything. The, view through, or the lens through which we choose to view life affects everything. What lens did you wear in here today? What lens did you put on this morning when you woke up this morning? In this series of Uncommon, today we want to take a look at what it means to live a life of uncommon praise. Do you guys know someone who, who is a person of uncommon praise? People who are able to praise God in the midst of whatever life has brought them. If it's a great day, praise God. If it's a not so great day, praise God. I believe that God wants all of us, all of his children, to be people of uncommon praise. I would love for our church to be filled to the brim with people who have learned the art of uncommon praise. How do you define uncommon praise? Uncommon praise is viewing life through the lens of faith and gratitude. 24 7, 365. A person of uncommon praise views life through a lens of faith that God is in control of everything. And the, and the lens of gratitude that says, I'm thankful for whatever comes my way. And they do it all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And 365 days a year. It's choosing to put that lens on every morning. You see, praise is so much more than just what we typically think of praise as singing on a Sunday morning. That's our praise time for the week. No, praise is something that flows out of our lives. And when we get together on Sunday mornings, it's kind of the culmination of what God has done in our lives all week long. Or perhaps it's the kickoff for what God's going to do in our life this week. And, and it's so much richer when we get together and have this time of praise. If we have lived a life of praise the past week, if we have lived a life of praise all the time. See, a person of uncommon praise is a person of praise 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year long. It's giving God glory through all of our lives. And it's so much more than just singing. Before we get started, I just want to answer two objections that I know are out there in the minds of people when it comes to the idea of everyone living a life of uncommon praise, the first objection is something like this. That's just for super Christians. That's the first objection. That's, that's just for super Christians, just for some people. A person of uncommon praise, that's not for me. And, and I want to say to the person that thinks that, have you ever read the Bible? Where are the super Christians in here? You know? Is it Peter? Who who denied that he knew Jesus when he was about to die? Is he a super Christian? Is, is it Paul who, who, uh, who was uh, a persecutor and a murderer of Christians before he became one? Is he, is he a super Christian? Or maybe in the Old Testament, is it Abraham who, who lied and said that his wife was his sister? And he did it twice. His family would be a Emmy Award winning reality TV series today. Is he a super Christian? No. See, there are no super Christians in the Bible. And you know what? There are no super Christians in our church. See, no super Christians are allowed. No perfect people allowed. There there is no such thing. So you fit in with the rest of us. God's plan is for all of us to live lives of uncommon praise and none of us are super Christians. 
but we're all supposed to be people of uncommon praise. The second objection often goes something like this. You know what? You don't know my background. I've had a hard life. I have every right to be negative. And and if that's you, then I want to say to you, some of the sweetest, most praising people that I know have faced some mountain-sized challenges in their lives. Some of the sweetest people I know, I, I don't know where that praise comes from other than I know it comes from God. But that is not reason to not be a person of uncommon praise. You see, God can overcome our past. I'm not chained to my past. I'm not chained to who I was. I'm not chained to my environment that I grew up in. I'm not chained to that. God can break me from that. God can change my heart. I often tell people, when I became a Christian, when I became a follower of Jesus as a teenager, my personality changed. I was that kind of Debbie Downer. I was that person that was, that was always, you know, uh, depressed and down. And Jesus changed my personality. I love to laugh and I love to have fun. And, and God did that. He can change us as people. And he gives us a second chance at life. So God desires all of us to be people of uncommon praise. Even you. Well, thankfully, he gives us some help on this in the form of a man in the New Testament. Get your Bibles out and raise your hand if you need one today. I'd like all of you guys to follow along. Our ushers will have a Bible in the link for you or here in the main. Just raise your hand up high and they will give one for you so you can follow along. And turn to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. It's right after the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to take a look at a man of uncommon praise. In fact... His name was the son of encouragement. He was so filled with praise for God and encouragement for others that his name simply became that. The son of encouragement. It's translated Barnabas. We're going to watch his story develop here in the book of Acts. And we're going to take a little bit of a journey through the book of Acts and see some different stories about Barnabas. But the first one is here in Acts chapter 4. Acts is the history of the very first churches of the world. And if you are looking for a place to maybe read in your quiet time, if it has become dry to you, this is a great book to read through. It is exciting. You see God at work doing incredible things. The way that he's doing stuff today, he was doing it in the Bible too, and it's in the book of Acts. I would encourage you to, to pick it up and read it through the whole thing. But go ahead and stand, and let's read together. Stand, and let's read Acts 4, verses 32 to 37, all together. This is the first picture that we get of the life of Barnabas, the son of encouragement. One, two, three, ready, read. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need." Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You can have a seat. This is the first kind of picture, the first time that we meet this man whose name was Joseph, but because he was such a person of praise for God and encouragement for others, they nicknamed him Barnabas which meant encourager. Take your notes and, um, and at, the, at the top of them, write this phrase, a person of uncommon praise. A person of uncommon praise. And then I'm going to give you five principles that we'll see in Barnabas's life. And we'll finish that sentence. A person of uncommon praise. And I'll give five ways that we can finish that sentence as we look at Barnabas and try to change the lenses through which we view life so that we can become people of uncommon praise. Number one is this. A person of uncommon praise lives simple or simply. A person of uncommon praise lives simple. In this passage, the key statement here is in this first verse where it says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Barnabas saw a need and was willing to sell some property and use the money to help others. 
He didn't want to be tied down to his stuff so that his heart was divided. He didn't want to play church once a week and then have other gods the other six days. He wanted his whole heart to be about God. He had no other gods, no other things that were in charge of him. Now, what they were doing here in the New Testament wasn't like full-blown like communal living. They didn't pull all their money together and live as one big family as sometimes people think. People throughout the New Testament continued to own houses. So when I say living simple, that's, that's not, don't get that picture in your mind that they shared everything and they lived as one family. That's not the case. They brought their money to the apostles and then it was distributed to those who had a need so that they could take care of their needs. Nobody was needy because everybody was being generous. That's the idea. They were living simple. They were giving away excess that they did not need when someone had too, too little or nothing. It was voluntary. Simple just means that you see your possessions, your resources as a gift from God and a resource to help others. The opposite of, of living simple is a selfish desire for things. See, a person who is able to be an uncommon praise isn't tied to their stuff. They're, they're so in love with God, they, they can't love stuff that much. We're not able to give praise to God, to be grateful for our lives, because sometimes all of our energy goes into maintaining our stuff and caring for our stuff and building up our quantity of stuff. And that then takes over our life and our heart's desires, and we have no room left for praise for God. And there is something to living a simple life, isn't there? People of uncommon praise are so much more into God than they are into their stuff. And when stuff doesn't hold on to your heart and Jesus is the one that you find your worth in, when your stuff breaks or when your stuff gets lost or when something goes wrong, you're able to say, praise God. I guess I didn't need that as much as I thought I did. Or, or praise God. We'll, we'll find a way to, to fix it. We'll find a way to make it work. That person that can say, praise God, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. That's a person of uncommon praise as opposed to the person who just, I don't know what we're going to do. I can't live without this. One of the blessings that has come out of the last few years where the economy has been tough and suffering for lots of people in our community, one of the blessings that has come out is that several families have learned that we really can live with less than we thought. Isn't that true? We really can live with less than we thought we could. And I've heard that from you over and over as a pastor, that, that your family has said, you know what, we, we've learned to live with less and we're okay. And I'm so glad, someone has said to me, I'm so glad that we went through the last few years. And a person who has learned to be simple, who has learned that, that, that they don't need so much stuff, is able to give God praise no matter what circumstances they're in. We're able to praise God when our bank account is full, and we're able to praise God when our bank account is empty. We've seen God come through. We've seen him provide. He has been faithful to us. We have made it when we thought we couldn't make it, and we know that he will continue to sustain us. We're able to say, God, I praise you. Praise the Lord. Whether we have little or much, we can praise God. That's uncommon praise. Let's skip down a few more chapters to the next time we see Barnabas. It's in Acts chapter 9. He's not really involved in, in, in the next few chapters, 5, 6, 7, 8. And then we come to 9, and he's here again. And uh, take a look at verse 20. Or we can take a look at the second half of verse 19. And let's read there. Acts chapter 9, second half of verse 19 says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among, among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take as prisoners us to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. 
when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. First, a person of uncommon praise lives simple. And second, a person of uncommon praise gives grace or, unforgive, or, or forgiveness. We pick up the story here with this man, Saul, this new Christian here in the book of Acts. Many of the believers are not accepting him into their group, though, right? Because of his checkered past. As he comes to Jerusalem, they, they don't accept him because they are afraid of him. They don't believe he's for real. No one gives him a chance to prove himself. Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to change your life and no one would give you a chance to prove that you were different? That is the situation that Saul was in. Saul was in this uh, this situation and he needed somebody to step up for him. Take Take a look back, just flip back to the end of chapter seven and you'll see why they were so scared of Saul. Chapter, uh, let's pick up verse 57 of chapter 7. These Jews that uh, were uh, uh, not Christians were, were just uh, upset with this man named Stephen who was preaching about Christ, was preaching about Jesus. It says in verse 57, At this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, these witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. So Saul was this guy that they did not trust, they did not care for because he had killed and was involved in arresting these other Christians. He had given the thumbs up to the murder of Stephen. And if we read the story of Acts, we see that Stephen was, was someone who, who was important to that church in Jerusalem. He was one of the first deacons, one of the first servants in that church, and cared for the needs of so many people. He was so loved and so uh, high thought of in their church. And so when Saul then comes back just a short time later, they're like, no way are we forgiving you, man. No way. These people in, here in Jerusalem would fit into a lot of churches today that are not willing to give forgiveness and grace to others whose lives they're trying to change. But we will be a people of uncommon praise here at this church. We will be a people of forgiveness and grace like Barnabas was. Barnabas steps up. And, and, and don't, don't get him wrong. I mean, Barnabas was close to Stephen too, no doubt. They were church leaders together in this church. But he, he swallows that hurt. He swallows that, that unforgiving spirit, that bitterness that was perhaps inside of him. And he gives this man a chance. And he stands up and he says, I'll vouch for him. I'll take him under my wing. I'll help him figure out this life. New Christians need someone to come alongside of them. They need a Barnabas to come alongside and say, I'll help you figure this out. I'll mentor you. I'll come alongside of you. And I will give you a second chance. Instead of rejecting him, he said, praise the Lord for miraculously changing this man's life. Instead of saying, did you see who was at church today? I can't believe they would go to church. How about we say, become a people who say, did you see who was at church today? I can't believe it. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. We will be a church of uncommon praise because when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we hold on to bitterness, we are not able to be people of uncommon praise. We need to let go of those past hurts. The opposite of giving grace or giving forgiveness is is unforgiveness. 
And a person who holds on to that bitterness and holds on to, to things that people have done against them in the past will never, be a, will never be people of uncommon praise. Unforgiveness will spread through our whole demeanor and will affect the lens that we view life through like nothing else. A person who is bitter and anger, angry over their past will never be able to be uncommon in their praise because they view everything through that lens of bitterness and anger. We must learn to let go and to forgive. We must be people of uncommon praise. We must daily make a choice to be grateful for whatever our God gives us that day. And so a person of uncommon praise must live simple. A person of uncommon praise must give grace. And third, our next picture of Barnabas comes in Acts chapter 11. Flip just one page to there. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with who? What does it say? What does it say? Stephen. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews... Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, he was encouraged. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. See, a person of uncommon praise, the third thing I want to point out here from from Barnabas' life, a person of uncommon praise sees God in the storm. A person of uncommon praise is able to see God in the storm. Stephen's stoning, as horrible as it was, allowed... God, to spread the gospel to other parts of the known world it had not been before. Right? Isn't that what it said? Isn't that what we just read? Out of the persecution connected with the death of Stephen comes this revival that spreads to the rest of the known world that had not been there before. No gospel had been there before. God is able to take the horrible things that happen in life As horrific as this was, this tragedy, he was able to use it for his glory. I'm sure there were many in the church at Jerusalem that thought, man, we had a good thing going here. But now they are killing us for our faith. Stephen was stoned. Who's next? I'm out of here. Right? I'm not following Christ anymore. But not Barnabas. Barnabas was able to have faith, right? According to verse 24, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He had faith that even in this darkest hour when his friend had been killed, somehow God was at work. In the midst of his friend's death, he was able to say, praise the Lord, God, you're in control. I am leaning on you. I don't see the way through this, but I know there is a way because I'm trusting you, God. And I have faith. As a pastor, I often have the privilege of being with those in our church who walk through dark times. So many here have had to walk through some incredible dark times. And in those times, I'm amazed at how faithful God is and how close He is to those who are looking for Him in the storm. How close He is, how, how He is able to give strength to His children during times of great pain. See, the opposite of seeing God in the storm is self-pity. And and that is where we are tempted to go in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a hard time, is is we we are tempted to want to pity ourselves and to be stuck there. And, And it's so attractive because it is something hard we're going through. And we do deserve sympathy. But that will not get us through that storm. That will cause us to be stuck there. 
The opposite of that is to see God in the storm and look for God and continue to have faith. A person of uncommon praise is able to see God in that storm, is able to say, praise be to God, even when it seems like there's not much to praise about. Just this morning, I had a quick conversation up here in the back of the track with a woman in our church who this year lost her daughter because she took her life. And, and, and I was able to pray with her several times during that circumstance. And she just said to me, John, I want to tell you how good I'm doing. I have never felt God's peace. I have never been so close to God as I have been these last few months. And I know that God is in this. This is a woman of uncommon praise. I can't see God, but I know that he's in it. Some people are walking through life with that sleeping mask on. They, they, I don't see God. He's not there in the midst of this storm. And a person of uncommon praise looks for God in the middle of their storms. I'll never forget a conversation I had a few years back with a man who I'd led to Christ here at Grace. And a few months after he had become a follower of Jesus, he, we were sitting in my office, we were talking, and, and he said, John, things are going so good for me now that I'm a Christian. Man, my, my life is going so good. My, my job is great. My family is perfect. Man, it is going so good. It's never gone so good for me. God is just such, is, is blessing me so much. I'm so glad that I'm a Christian now. And I remember this feeling of uneasiness just kind of going right up my spine, saying, oh man, this guy is not going to be ready for the storms. Because being a Christian does not mean that we are shielded from pain. Being a Christian, though, means that we have someone to walk with us through the pain. And so we are given hope, and we are given peace, and we are given joy in the midst sometimes of great pain. And this man was not ready for that. When I started praying, and I, think, and I was thinking through these thoughts early this week, and, and Jim gave me the, the task of talking about uncommon praise, I remember I first thought, I was praying on Monday, or I think it was Monday or maybe Tuesday, and I remember praying saying, Lord, I don't know that I want to preach on uncommon praise. Because how can I effectively communicate your word if, if I'm not someone who is being challenged to live a life of uncommon praise? And, and God, I just don't think I can handle any more challenge right now. And that thought went in my mind. God, what's going to happen this week so that I can talk about uncommon praise? You know, since uh, Thanksgiving, Tara and I and, and our families have been on a, a, just a big roller coaster with our emotions. Tara's grandparents, she, she's, she uh, is very close to her grandparents who live in Pennsylvania. They came out at Thanksgiving for, for, uh, for Thanksgiving to celebrate the holidays with us. And, 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 and since then, over the last three months, they have just gone, their health, downhill, to the point now where her grandfather is in a lockdown dementia unit. Their grandmother is on hospice. Three months, that, both of them. And I remember thinking on Monday, Lord, I just, I don't know that we can handle as a family more challenge. Tuesday night, my youngest brother, Peter, calls me. And uh, he and his wife are pregnant for the first time. And he calls me and he says, we, uh, we need to have a, a, a second kind of ultrasound, a special kind of ultrasound on Thursday we went today, and, and they saw something that they're concerned about. Would you please pray? And so I prayed with my brother over the phone, and I, I prayed with our, I put it out to our small group to pray for them, and, and uh, prayed with, uh, or I put it out to the fight club to have the men pray for it. And, you know, Jim has talked about this before in the past, some of the sacrifices of ministry. And while I love being a part of grace here, there are times when my heart hurts to be in Pennsylvania. There are, there are times when you wish you could be with your family. And uh, so we prayed, and on Thursday night, my brother calls me, and um, all he could get out was the word, hey, before he just starts to weep. And he, and he weeps like I've never heard my brother weep before. They had had this test done, they'd had different tests done, and they found out their little girl has this very rare condition where all of her organs are reversed in her body. Her heart, instead of being on the left side, is on the right. 
her stomach is on the opposite side, her appendix, all those things are opposite of what they're supposed to be. And as she's developing, that's going to be the case. But that's actually not what they're concerned about. As they were doing that test, they were looking, and they noticed that two valves in her heart are not forming properly, and she's not getting the right amount of blood and oxygen that she needs throughout her body and to her brain. And so hours after she will be delivered, she will need to have open-heart surgery to repair those two valves. And they're very scared that there will be some sort of brain damage because of the lack of oxygen and blood to her brain. And, and we wept together. This is, this is my brother. And um, he, was, uh, he and his wife have tried so hard to get pregnant for so long, like so many here in, in, in our church that have gone through that journey. And for them to finally get there was so exciting for us. Now to be in this situation, to not be able to, you know, kind of enjoy the rest of the pregnancy, but to now almost dread what might be coming. Even in the midst of that, though, he was able to say to me, I'm just so grateful for the tech that saw the reversed heart that made them take a closer look and then see the heart condition that she was being born with. I'm so glad and I'm so grateful that we were able to see that. That is uncommon praise. In the midst of pain, we're still able to say, praise the Lord. Here is God's hand in all this. Here is God's grace in all this. And what God will do in the life of my brother, in the life of his wife, Jessica, we don't know. In the life of this little girl, we don't know. But God is in the midst of it all, and we were able to say, praise the Lord. God is in the midst of even the storm. Barnabas had enough faith to see God in the midst of his friend's death, and he was able to be part of the blessing that came later, this revival that spread throughout the known world. And we pick up his story again there. And so we said, first of all, a person of uncommon praise is someone who lives simple, is, is someone who, uh, sorry, my thoughts aren't uh, coming right now, is someone who gives grace and is someone who gives God in the storm. And let's pick it up in chapter 11 still, in the next verse, verse 25. We'll pick up his story again. Verse 25 says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. A person of uncommon praise, the fourth thing that I want to share with you, that, that praise overflows to others. A person of uncommon praise overflows to others. See, because, because they're a person of praise, they become attractive. People want to be around them. You guys know people like that. A person who is, who is so full of praise for God, you want to be around them. They are able to, to have faith in any circumstance. And that overflows to other people. It's contagious. See, so, uh, Barnabas didn't, doesn't want to be the only one getting all this joy, all this praise. And so he gets this new Christian Saul whom he was mentoring. And he brings him with him to Antioch. He brings him along. And he says, let's do ministry together. Uncommon praise is contagious, even in the midst of storms. You can change your family. You can change your workplace. You can change your, your entire atmosphere that's around you. Just like one negative person can change a whole room, one positive person can change a whole room. One positive person, one person who has tremendous faith can affect an entire family or workplace. No matter what is happening around you, you can say, praise the Lord, and that attitude spreads to others. It's good to be authentic and real. It's good to cry together. What a whirlwind we had this weekend here, even at our church. On Thursday and Friday with Brent's family, we had a funeral in here and a viewing in here. We were remembering the life of a woman who lost her life this week. And then we have this luau, and, and there's still confetti pieces around the building, because we had this tremendous celebration with this group of people that, that God has a tremendous love for. And then we have a wedding last evening. And, and then we have 
something called church this morning. And all over the place, it's good to be real together and to have these moments where we cry together and we worship. And then it's good to celebrate this new family that started and these new lives that are being started. And it's good to do all that together. It's good to have fun. It's good to laugh. Throughout the process, sometimes as adults, we get too serious. I read an article this summer where a um, a psychologist wrote an article that she claims the average four-year-old laughs 300 times a day, and the average 40-year-old only four. She couldn't find research to completely back up that claim, but you and I get the point, right? Have you ever hung out with children for a day? They laugh a lot, don't they? Have you ever hung out with 40-year-olds? They don't laugh so much. Not as much. Something happens as we get older, something through the course of life that we mature, and I don't think it's maturing. I think we need to laugh, even as adults. We need to lighten up. We need to enjoy life. You know, we laugh a lot as a staff here at Grace. In case you haven't noticed, we have a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's good to have faith and fun together. I'll never forget my first day on the job seven years ago. I was in my office, and I'm sitting there at uh, my desk, and, you know, kind of you start a new job, and, you know, you kind of wonder, like, what do I do? Like, where do I start? You know, what should I do first? And, and I'm sitting there, and the, uh, the office phone rings. I, I pick it up. I'm like, hello? And uh, someone at the office in the front desk says, there's someone here to see you. And I said, okay. And I put it down. I'm thinking, who even knows me? Like, who's here to see me? And, and so I walk out to the front, and there's a, a Goshen police officer. And uh, he says, uh, I need to talk to you, sir. I need to bring you uh, into my office. Um, because we got a call from the Philadelphia police and they're concerned about some stolen merchandise that was taken from Philadelphia and they need to talk to you about this. And yeah, I'm like, well, I know I didn't steal anything, so I'm a little like, yeah, right, but he's really persistent. And so I, I turned a little red and one of, the, one of the blessings of being a red-haired person is I can't hide my emotions. And, and you know, I started to get a little sweaty and nervous because he's very persistent until I look so nervous. He says, no, nah, I'm just kidding. He goes, one of your church members put me up to this. Mr. Scott Jarrett right there. He had been in his office that morning uh, to his place of business that morning. He said, hey, I need you to go do me a favor. And uh, he does that for him. We, we love to laugh. I should have been, I should have been, I should have known what I was getting into though, you know, here at this church. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I want to thank whoever put the forks and the toilet paper all over our yard. Uh, that was, that was lovely. Thank you for that. Um, when I first came out to visit, uh, when I first came out to visit uh, grace to meet the elders and to get hired, um, to get hired to, to, to be on staff here. I was driving, you know, the Ohio Turnpike and, and Jim calls and I get out my phone. It was, you know, seven years ago. So my cell phone was like this big and I'm like, hello. And, um, and he's like, hey man, did you bring your basketball gear? I'm like, yeah, I did. He's like, well, bring it tomorrow morning. Be here at the church at 6 a.m. We'll, we'll play basketball and you'll get a chance to meet, you know, some of the men from grace. All right, I'll be there. And so, um, you know, I, uh, I get here, and, and we start, we're playing ball, and um, anyway, Jim is a trash talker. Um, and, and some people sometimes wonder, you know, where did this kind of fun, jabbing relationship that he and I have, where did it start? It started at this basketball game that morning, 6 a.m., back in uh, 2005. And he is just talking trash, come on, Philly boy, and just saying stuff like that to me. And so I'm just giving it right back to him. I mean, just giving it right back to him. At one point in the game, I steal the ball from him. I'm driving down the court. It's like right here. I'm driving down the court, and, and he's the only person in front of me. And, and I say, I say something. I'm, I don't, can't remember totally what I said, but something like, this is how we do it in Philly. And I kind of put some move on him, and I get around him, and I'm about to flip up a layup. And he comes behind me and shoves me in the back, pushes me to the ground. I fly across the floor, and he says, that's how we do it in Indiana. We love to laugh on our staff. It is good to have fun. God wants us to be people who who are contagious, and it trickles down, I think, to the rest of our church. We are a church of grace. We are a community of grace. And I've never been a part of a church that has so much fun. And I think that's a good thing. I think that helps us to be people of uncommon praise. In the midst of hard times, in the midst of storms, we are still able to laugh. We are still able to give God praise. Don't be that person that no one wants to talk to because they know they're going to hear some sad story all the time from you. Don't be that Debbie Downer that nobody wants to see, that they see you come and they want to avoid because 
You're just such a downer. Be a person of uncommon praise. Let that joy flow from you that Christ has given to you. So a person of uncommon praise. Number five, one more quick point that I want to bring. A person of uncommon praise deflects praise away. A person of uncommon praise deflects praise away. Take your Bible, and I want to show you something really cool about Barnabas' life and about his legacy. Flip to Acts chapter 13, just one page. We're going to bounce around here, chapter 13, a little bit. I want to show you something. If you read through his whole story, you'll pick up on this. 13 verse 1, in the church at Antioch, that's where... Paul, or I'm sorry, uh, Barnabas and Saul were, right? In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, uh, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So Barnabas and Saul are called out by the Holy Spirit. They're going to be sent out as missionaries, right? And it says, specifically, you see... Barnabas and Saul, right? Well, then skip down to verse 7. Uh, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. Here they are in Cyprus, their first place they're going on their missionary trip. And he wants to hear from Barnabas and Saul, is what it says, right? Then skip down to verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, God's work in his life, He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looks straight at this man, and he says, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. And so we can see something happening here. It's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Now Saul, who is now named Paul, he's given a new name because God's changing his life, now becomes a spokesperson for the group right there in that verse. And then take a look at verse 13. From Paphos, from that city, they continue to move. What does it say? Paul and his what? companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. In just, a, in just a chapter, it comes from Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, to Paul, to now Paul and his companions. Barnabas has become a simple companion of Paul. And then look with me to the next chapter, verse, chapter 14, verse 1. And it says, At Iconium, what does it say? Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. And by chapter 14, Paul is now the leader of the group. And then by chapter 15 of Acts, we never hear of Barnabas again. And Paul becomes the main player in the story of the early church. That second half of the book of Acts is now about this man named Paul and his journey. Do you see how Barnabas was a person of uncommon praise and deflected the praise away from himself. He deflected it to God and he deflected it to this man, Paul, or who was Saul, and he built him up and he encouraged him and he mentored him so that he was able to go on to his ministry. Barnabas was willing to step in to the back and let Paul lead. A person of uncommon praise doesn't need to be the center of attention. A person of uncommon praise pushes that praise to God, pushes that praise to others. When praise is given to him or her, they deflect it away to other people. A person of uncommon praise. I heard a story recently. Greg Laurie, who's an evangelist and a pastor out in California, talks about being on a crusade with Billy Graham. And, and he said he had the privilege of, of, of driving the same car with Billy after Billy had preached to thousands of people. They get in the car and he says, Billy, that was a great sermon. And Billy Graham says, it was just a sermon. And, and, and he says, Billy, you're doing incredible work. He says, I'm just serving to God. I'm just a servant. And he says over and over, that was the kind of conversation you would have. He said, Billy Graham could never take a compliment. He was someone who deflected the praise away because he wanted to be God's humble servant. He gave all the praise, all the credit to God and to other people. A person of uncommon praise deflects that praise away. Don't be that guy or that gal that's always needing to talk about you, who can't let other people talk in a conversation, who dominates dinner, who dominates a party, who dominates a gathering. That sort of person can't have uncommon praise because they can't see past themselves to others or to God. The opposite of deflecting praise away to others is a selfish desire for attention. And a person who is seeking attention can never be a person of uncommon praise. 
We need to fight that. We need to push it to other people. Praise God. When someone compliments you or something you did, you push that praise to other people. If we begin to take these five principles from Barnabas' life, we will be on our, on our way to living a life of uncommon praise. Let's close this morning with prayer. Would you close your eyes and let's pray. And as we pray this morning, let's take an inventory of yourself. And I want you to start asking yourself some of these questions. Are you a person of uncommon praise? Let me ask you these questions. How long does it take for you to come up with a praise when someone asks? When you're in small group or you're at prayer encounter or you're in some kind of gathering and someone says, let's share some praises. Can you only think of prayer requests? When was the last time you spontaneously said out loud, thank you, God, for something that he did for you? Are your eyes open during the week? Do you even see the God sightings, the things that God is doing? If you were asked to give a list right now of all the reasons that you are in love with God, how long would it be? How many could you come up with in a minute? Do you think about those things? Are you a person that's ready to praise when was the last time you raised your hands in worship without music even being played? When was the last time you were deeply moved as you looked at something in creation, something that God had done? When was the last time you were deeply moved when you think, you think about the life of a person who has changed? Do you lead your family in sharing God's sightings from the day? you a family of uncommon praise. Lord, we want to be a church of uncommon praise. God, to be that, we must be individuals, collectively together as a church of uncommon praise. God, help us to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our troubles, off of whatever would distract us from putting them on you. Lord, praise really comes back to where our eyes focused? Are they on our things? Is that what dominates our mind? Do I wake up worried about stuff, possessions? Do I wake up worried about myself? Do I wake up worried about my troubles? Do I wake up worried about these things? Or God, do I wake up focused on you? On my thoughts of you? Lord, to be people of uncommon praise, we must fix our eyes on you live for your glory alone. Lord, it's not normal. It's uncommon. That's why it's called uncommon praise. God, thank you for the life of Barnabas. We pray that we would continue to live out his legacy as followers of you. Lord, this week, I pray that you would bring to mind the things that we have to praise you about so that we can be a people of uncommon praise. We pray all these things Jesus' name. Amen. Instead of closing with a song today, which would certainly be appropriate to do, let's go and live lives. That will be our praise this week. And we'll come back ready next Sunday to worship together because of the praise that we have lived this week. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.